This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Thank you so much. What an amazing song, amazing lyrics. And I just want to uh, thank God for what He is doing in our church these days. And and uh, I, I've been getting emails and texts, and someone told me today, what, what I'm hearing is that as we go through the Word of God together, this is transformational. Uh, people are saying, this is changing my life. And uh, so I, I'm just thankful what, what God is doing. And, and today, as, as Jim said, we are continuing our, our series entitled Text Message from God. And I would encourage you, go ahead and open your, your bulletins. There's, uh, there's this place here where you can take notes. I'm going to be giving you a lot of information today. You might want to jot some things down. And, uh, you know, you, you know that I have a very, very specific agenda for this series. It's not a hidden agenda. I've been very direct. I want you to be in God's Word. I want you to be in God's Word. Because, frankly, nothing I have to say will change your life. Now, before I stand in front of you every Sunday, I study hard, I pray, I, I try to be prepared in my subject as well as I try to prepare my, my, my heart and my head. But my words are not life-changing, but God's Word is life-changing. And Romans 1.16 says that the good news is the power of God into salvation. But what's kind of crazy, and I was thinking about this, most of us have grown up around the Bible and and we would say, well, I, I believe the Bible to be truth. I believe that it is inspired by God. Yet, for some reason, we use the old, worn-out excuse of, well, I'm just not much of a reader. But we're quite the readers when it comes to social media. We're quite the readers when it comes to sports or whatever our, our interest is. So... My agenda for this series of messages is to help us all establish a regular and consistent routine of reading the Bible. In other words, my goal is not to have you read ahead and then you say, well, I finished a month early. Well, good for you, but you better find another reading plan then. You need to stay in the Word because that's our daily food. Now, today's lesson is unlike one I've ever given on a Sunday morning. Does that worry you a little bit? Uh, this is more the type of study you would get in a Bible college classroom. But as we're trying to become a church of the Word, with God's help, I want to give you some information that hopefully will help you to better fit the pieces of the Bible together. Now, we call the Bible a book. But technically, the Bible is not a book. Now, I'm thankful that... Uh, those who publish the Bible, you know, it's convenient that they put all the manuscripts in, in, in book form. But the Bible is not a book. Rather, it's, it's a collection or it's a library of books. And, and here is your first pop quiz. There will be several of them today, so you need to pay attention. Or you're going to have to stick around for the third service and listen to this again if you don't catch it. But uh, here's the first pop quiz of the day. Uh, how many books are in the Bible? 66 books. Now, the Bible is an amazing miracle. And, and, and this morning, I want to give you just a few of the reasons that I say that. The first writer out of the 40 different people who wrote the different books in the Bible was probably Moses. And he wrote the book of Genesis. 
And we immediately and, and logically, and this makes good sense, we think, well, you know, the very first book of the Bible is going to be Genesis. And, and it possibly was. But, but there are some scholars who believe that the book of Job was actually the first book written, or at least written in the same time period as, as Genesis. And furthermore, some scholars would put Moses as one of the potential writers of the book of Job. And th that's not my point. In fact, I'm not even going to express my opinion on that because that's neither here nor there. But what I want us to understand is that the first books of the Bible were written uh, between 1,400 years and 1,900 years before Christ, which would be 3,500 to nearly 4,000 years ago. Those were the first books written in the Bible. Now, the final writer that contributed to the books of the Bible was probably the Apostle John. And, and uh, he wrote the book of Revelation and, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And, and those were probably written somewhere around the timeline of 90 to 98 AD. And, and scholars do disagree. Uh, they've got different opinions. So if you do an internet search, you're you're probably going to get different opinions on this, but let's not get lost on the exact dates. That's, that's not the important fact here. What is important is that you have 40 different authors that wrote over a time span of at least 1,500 years, possibly closer to 2,000 years. Most of them didn't know each other. A few of them did. 40 different writers, 1,500-year time span, and all of these 66 books tell one single story, and that story is the story of redemption. It's the story of God winning back a prodigal race. It's the story of a creator winning back a creation. It's the story of a king who decides not to power up like most kings, rather decides to power down and become a servant. It's the story of a father who, who had a runaway son and instead of getting a whip, and forcing the son to come home, he lovingly waits and waits and waits. And when the son finally gets tired of his life of sin, the father welcome, welcomes him back with a party. It's the story of our Heavenly Father. It's the story of our God. It's your story. It's my story. And this story has been preserved through the ages in this extraordinary, miraculous document that we call the Bible. And, and when somebody says, and, and I don't hear this too much because people don't say these things typically in, in front of the preacher, but when somebody says, you know, I just don't believe the Bible, here's what I think, and, and don't let this out of this room, okay? Just between you and me, bless their hearts. <laughs> but I just think, what an ignorant thing to say. And, and here's the reason I think that, because most of the time when, when people say that, they haven't researched even some of the basic information that I want to share with you today. So let's look at some of this basic information that most of you will know, and then we'll cover some information that may not be quite as familiar to some of you. To begin with, there are two divisions in the Bible. Pop quiz number two, what are those two divisions? Old Testament, New Testament. The word testament means covenant or agreement. 
Let me give you some examples of a few of those covenants. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Noah. After the great flood that, that covered the earth, he made a covenant. And, and he said, I will never, ever, ever flood the entire earth again with water. And you remember the sign that God gave as a reminder? The rainbow. And I know the LGBTQ community has taken the rainbow. They've actually kidnapped the rainbow. And they said that the, they've said that the colors represent diversity. But, but remember that the original rainbow was a sign from God that he would never flood the entire world again. There was another covenant that God made. This one was with Abraham. And in this covenant, God said, your name is going to be a household name, Abraham. And here we are thousands of years later, and it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish, if you are Protestant, if you're Catholic, the name Abraham is a household name. God also made a covenant with David. He said, as long as there's a king on the throne of Israel, it's going to be one of your descendants. And of course, Jesus came from the lineage of David. But then Jesus came onto the scene and in the New Testament, he sat down with his followers at the final Passover meal. And he said, through my blood, I'm establishing a brand new covenant. And what was that new covenant? Well, in the past, the blood of animals had to be sacrificed for sin. But, but Jesus said, I'm establishing a new covenant a new covenant, now it will be my blood that brings the forgiveness of sins. So you have the Old Testament, Old Covenant, you have the New Covenant. Now, to help us with this next part of the lesson, I, I want you to take out a uh, piece of uh, paper, actually it's a card that looks like this. Go ahead and take that out of your bulletin, you should have it. And uh, we're just going to call this the cheat sheet. And I want you to turn it over to the side that has the list of Old and New Testament books. And we've also got it on the screen, but it's, it's, it's pretty small there, so you'll need to just keep this in, in your hand. Um, look at the Old Testament on, on the left side there. Um, if you were to begin reading at the beginning of the Bible and read it straight through, this is the order you would find the books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, on down to the last book, Malachi. These 39 Old Testament books are divided into four categories, law, history, poetry, and prophets. But let me mess with your minds a little bit here. Many of you already know this, but as you read through the Old Testament, the order in, the, in which we find them in the Bible is not the real chronological order. And I know sometimes people question that, and they scratch their heads, and they say, why is the Bible that way? And this doesn't make sense. It's not in order like it should be. Let me try to shed some light on this and tell you, this is not a confusing thing. I describe it this way. This is a very cool thing. Turn your cheat sheet over to the other side and um, where it says chronological order of the Old Testament. Everybody with me so far? Um, and I want you to look to the far left and the middle row here, right down in the middle where it says Genesis, Exodus, uh, you know, right, right there. Look, look at that middle row. And um, that center row 
is the basic chronological order of the Old Testament. And again, not all scholars agree with this order, but this will get you pretty close to the established chronology. Okay, what about the other books then? You've got some books that are up there. You've got some books that are down here. What about those other books? Well, let me try to explain the the placement here with an illustration that I think will uh, make it very clear. And this is what makes the Bible so amazing. Let's say that you have a photo album of your marriage. Uh, maybe it be, begins with pictures of your wedding and the wedding day. And, and then after that, in the photo album, you've got uh, pictures of your honeymoon and and then maybe you've got some pictures of your first Christmas together and and then maybe your first vacation together. And then you come to the time when your first baby was born and you have uh, thousands of pictures there within the first week. And and if you're like us, I don't, I don't know why, but I, I think we probably had at least 500 pictures of uh, of uh, our, our kids taking their first bath. I don't know why. You know, it's just like that all parents, you know, the first bath, oh, that's so sweet. And. And so this picture album is like the chronological order of your life. But but then imagine, along with that photo album, you've also kept a journal. Um, And the journal goes something like this. After your wedding, you reflected on how blessed you were to finally get to marry your, your childhood sweetheart. You waited so long and you, you give your emotions and then in the journal, you reflected on your first Christmas together and how meaningful that was. And then you reflected on your emotions as your first baby was born. And just can't believe you're, you're, you're a daddy or you're a mommy. And so, so you have the photo album that gives a basic pictorial journey of your life. But then you have a journal that records things like your emotions, your feelings, maybe your fears. Details you can't capture in a picture. That's basically what we have in the Bible. The the middle row is pretty much the photo album. It, It gives the basic chronology of God's dealings with ancient Israel. But but then we have all of these other writers who were journaling. Um, at a deeper level during those same time periods. Now, let me put boots on the ground here and uh, give you a couple of examples because I want to make sure we understand uh, that we understand this because this kind of unlocks some of the confusion that some of us might have and and, and might bring it together. Um, so, So go back to the book of Genesis and then go right. Go over here to the book of 2 Samuel. Now, 2 Samuel tells the story of King David, documents the life of King David. And and in 2 Samuel chapter 11, you find the well-known story of David committing uh, adultery with Bathsheba. And and that's a story that even unchurched people know about. Now, look below 2 Samuel and you see 1 Chronicles. But go on down, you see the book of Psalms. Now, um, how is the book of Psalms related to? to 2 Samuel. Well, many of the Psalms were written by King David. 
And they were basically a journal of his emotions. For example, in Psalm 51, uh, David records his prayer of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba. And other places, we see that David is journaling his fear of his enemies. And it seems like continually, he's basically saying, my enemies are coming after me. My enemies are coming after me. And another place he journals that he's lost his joy. So in the book of 2 Samuel, you get the general snapshot of what happens in the life of David. But in the book of Psalms, you get the journal effect, his emotions, his fears, his insecurities, his good days, his bad days. Let me, uh, let me give you another example because I want to make sure we understand this. Move over to, uh, to, uh, to the book of 1 Kings right there. And 1 Kings, uh, you get a snapshot of Solomon. David's son Solomon, how he became king, what he did as a king. But, but then at the same time, if you go underneath that, below Second Chronicles Lamentation, get down here to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So these are the writings of Solomon. So in First Kings, again, you get the snapshot. Right here, you, you, you get the, uh, the, the journal effect. Um, Proverbs talks about his wisdom. And of course, he was the wisest man on earth. Ecclesiastes talks about the futility of life apart from God. He you know, says it's like a vapor. And then Psalm, the Song of Solomon, well, it's a love book. And, and you really shouldn't read it until you're married. And, and I'm just kidding there, but... Uh, and some of you teenagers are going to go and read it today. I know you. I know you. But, but seriously, Jewish boys were not allowed to read the, the, the Song of Solomon until they got older because it's so explicit. So these books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, they add layers of insight to what goes on in the book of First Kings. Uh, one, one more example. I, I want you to go way over to the right. Go over, over here to this gap. And, and it says 70 years of, of exile. This is the time when Israel's disobedience got so out of hand and, and God had to discipline Israel and, and he allowed them to be conquered and the leaders were carried off into exile. And, and then uh, in, in the next book right here, Ezra, that's when the children of Israel are coming back home. But, but then if, if, if you will look Above Ezra, right up there, you see the book of Haggai. Or, or some of you might pronounce it Haggai, depending on your church back, background, and, and, and both are, are correct, actually. Haggai was a prophet who spoke into the events that took place in the book of Ezra. In, in fact, all of the different prophets listed at the top. You've got Joel, Micah, and you know, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Haggai, all, all of those prophets, if, if, if you read their books by themselves, you, you're going to say, what in the world is going on? <laughs> this is just so confusing. But, but if you read their books in relation to the main storyline, then you say, oh, now I understand. Um, now, at the end of the chronological order, you see the, uh, the book of Nehemiah, which uh, scholars believe that is the last, uh, the last book 
that was uh, written in, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, but, but during that time period, right before the end of the Old Testament, uh, d- during the time period of, of Nehemiah, the, these three prophets, again, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they spoke, uh, they made prophecies inspired by God, predictions about the future of Israel. And, and their predictions went something like this. They said, even though God was very disappointed with his people Israel, even though Israel had turned their backs on God, and even though God had warned them time and time and time again, God would still keep his promises. There would come a Messiah and a Savior. And all of these Old Testament um, prophets pointed to the future saying, there's something worth waiting on. There's something worth waiting on. There's something better coming. It's worth waiting on. And ladies and gentlemen, with those prophecies and the conclusion of the book of Nehemiah, just like that, the Old Testament ends. The end. Well, at this point, something very significant takes place. And and if I were in a church with my African-American brothers where they would have an organist backing up the preacher that organist would probably begin playing some ominous, suspenseful music. Because at the end of the Old Testament, after these prophecies, prophecies that say a Messiah would come, prophecies that give hope, prophecies they're thinking is going to happen soon and very soon, but what happens in reality, the world goes into a period of 400 years. And Many of you know this, but the world goes into 400 years of silence. And from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, for 400 years, there's no record of God speaking to prophets, priests, people. There is no record of God speaking to anyone. So, pop quiz, how many years between the Old Testament and the New Testament? 400 years. Now, if you paid attention in school, you will remember what happened during those 400 years. There was the rise of the Persian Empire, the rise of the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, and ultimately the rise of the Roman Empire. All of that happens during the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament But for 400 years, God is silent. And what I'm about to tell you this morning, and and by the way, I just kind of opened up my heart to you early this past week. I I struggle getting this lesson to fit together. And, you know, in in my mind, I kind of knew where I wanted to go. I just couldn't get there. And so even though I normally get to the office early every every morning generally 6 to 6 30 i'm here just spending time with the lord but on thursday morning i felt i needed to come in earlier and get an early time or earlier start to my time seeking the lord and so i i came into the office around 5 a.m and i was praying and i was just just studying and meditating and and asking god to reveal himself to me and 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 just as a personal testimony God began to help me to 
understand some things. And as the light finally broke through my dull head, I, 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 I honestly got chills up and down my spine and the tears began to flow. Here I am alone in the building. And, and I love it when slow Joe finally can understand things that many of you probably learned years ago. Sometimes I'm in the slow class. But, but what I'm about to tell you this morning is, is another reason that you can't dismiss the Bible and say, oh, the Bible, you know, you just can't trust it. Because this is amazing. For 400 years, and, and to put that into perspective, what's the age of our nation? 240, 243 years, something like that. Listen, for almost twice as long as there's been a United States of America, the Jewish people waited and waited and waited and waited for God to fulfill the promises that had been given through his prophets. That means that people had probably heard the stories of Abraham so many times and they'd come to the point of saying, yeah, I've heard those stories a thousand times. Yeah, yeah, I've heard the stories of Moses. Yeah, 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 I'm so sure. And maybe the stories are true, maybe they're not. I really don't care anymore. The question I'm interested in is, where is God now, today? And then they had their kids and their kids grew up saying the same things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've heard all those worn out stories of, of Abraham and Isaac and David and Goliath. But where is God now? Why doesn't God speak to us today? In fact, I've been thinking, I wonder if there really even is a God. This went on for 400 years. Almost twice as long as our country has been in existence. And really, from the human perspective, the nation of Israel had every reason to say we're finished. Either those prophets lied to us, or this was just some sort of opium to make us feel good or keep us together as a nation. But enough is enough. Pull the plug on this dumb religion. I mean, the Persians have marched through here. The Greeks have marched through here. The Romans have marched through here. But there is no evidence of God. So why do we continue to play these silly religious games? Game over. Just put a bow on it and accept the fact that here is another Middle Eastern religion that has bit the dust. 400 long years of silence. But then again, if we were in a church with our African-American brothers, the organist backing me up with music would pick up the tempo and the volume. Because at the end of the 400 long, long years of silence, by the way, can you just hear that organist going nuts right now? <laughs> at the end of the 400 long years of silence, an angel appears to a teenage girl and says, Mary, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe because everyone thought the game was over. They thought this was all a pie in the sky. They thought this religion and the prophecies were just fairy tale. They, they thought God was dead. But, but Mary, I've got some good news for you. God is alive and well. And, and Mary... Did you know you're going to have a baby and you will call his name Jesus? And Mary, did you know that one day your baby would walk on water? That ought to be a song, should it? 
Mary, did you know that your baby would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy would give sight to the blind? Did you know that your baby would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby would save our sons and our daughters? Mary, did you know that your baby would be the great I am, the savior of the world? Mary, did you know? Question. And this is the question of the entire message. And track with me. After 400 years of silence... After 400 years of disappointment, after 400 years of questioning everything you'd ever been taught about God, after 400 years of being the laughing stock of other religions, question, why would anybody try to resurrect a religion that appeared to be dead? I mean, after 400 years of nothing happening, why don't you just go out and start a new religion? And, and make it better than the old one that died. But the truth was that all of this was part of God's plan. And God was just getting started. And as that angel appeared to Mary, and, and as the 400 years of silence was over, the, the prophecies began to be fulfilled right and left. In fact, I want to just read one verse from the book of Malachi. And, and this is a prophecy. Malachi was the last prophet and. Some people call him the Italian prophet Malachi, but it's, it's Malachi. Okay, you've heard that before. I know that's dumb, but Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And, and again, this is before the 400 years of, of silence. And, and Malachi is speaking as God's mouthpiece. He says, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Who do you think that might be? Maybe John the Baptist? This prophecy was over 400 years before the New Testament. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And after Malachi gave this prophecy, they were plunged into 400 years of silence. The 400 years go by. And one day a scraggly, loud-mouthed, smelly, uncouth guy that eats bugs. He shows up at the Jordan River and he began to preach. Repent! Repent! Prepare you the way of the Lord. And for 400 years there had been nothing from God but silence. And, and suddenly John the Baptist shows up and, and he's preaching. He says, wake up. God is about to do something. God is about to do something. But the skeptical and the cynical people are like, oh, good grief, for crying out loud. We've been hearing that for 400 years. I mean, come up with something new. That religion was over so long ago. But John the Baptist says, no, it's not over. God has been waiting and waiting and waiting, but now is the time. And, and God keeps his promises and he's doing something new. Well, finally, the religious leaders ask him, okay, then are you the Messiah? And John said, oh, no, not even close. I'm just the one that the prophet Malachi spoke of here to get your attention. I'm the pregame show. I'm the warm-up act. And then John the Baptist says, oh, speaking of Messiah, look over there. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold 
the Lamb of God. You know, you've slaughtered a lot of lambs to cover for your sins, but, but there's the Lamb of God, the Messiah, that for hundreds of years we've been waiting for. He is alive and is about to do something brand new. Now, I'm just telling you, you, you can choose to not believe the Bible if you, if you want to, but to have 400 years of silence, John the Baptist shows up, fulfills the prophecy of Malachi and Haggai and others, and then to have Jesus show up and fulfill many, many more prophecies that had been written about him hundreds and hundreds of years prior. The Bible is nothing short of an incredible, miraculous fulfillment of prophecy that could not have happened just by chance. Oh, go, go back, uh, turn over your cheat sheet back to the books of the Bible. I got to get through the New Testament so I can let you go home. Oh. And there in, in the right side, you, you, have the, uh, you have the books of the New Testament. And uh, scholars have divided the New Testament into four categories. You've got the Gospels, the history, letters, and prophecies. And just really fast, the Gospels are four accounts of the life of Christ from four different perspectives, four different men. They, they document the different events that happened over the 33 years that Christ was on earth. And actually, a majority of what they focused on was just three years of, of the ministry of Christ. And, and I found this really interesting because... Some of the Old Testament books, some of the writers of the Old Testament, they cover many years. For, for example, do you have any idea how many years the book of Genesis covers? It covers over 2,000 years history. Uh, in, in fact, it, it covers about half of the recorded history of the 66 books of the Bible. The book of Exodus covers about 400 years. But the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John focus mainly on the three years of the life of Christ. Those are the Gospels. Now, after the Gospels come the the book of history, comes the book of history called Acts. Uh, I think your Bibles will probably say Acts of the Apostles. I prefer to say Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, And and it covers about 30 years of the history of the church after Jesus ascended up to heaven. It also uh, covers the Apostle Paul as he planted churches around the world. Of course, that's when uh, the persecution of the church began. Then we come to the books that we call letters, uh, epistles, 21 of them, and And the best way to explain these letters is to go back to our illustration of the photo album and the journal. The the, the book of Acts is the photo album. It gives the chronological order of what happened after Jesus ascended up in the heavens. But the, the letters give us more details into the insights and thoughts and emotions. A couple of quick examples. If you go down to the list where it says Ephesians, Ephesians is a letter to the people of Ephesus. So in the book of Acts, chapter 18, there's a snapshot of when Paul went to Ephesus. But then the book of Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. And and so we get the journal effect. Same way with the book of Philippians in Acts chapter 16. Paul visited Philippi, but then Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and we get more insight through his letter. You know, the Bible is is, is the most extraordinary document because it's not just a simple storyline like most ancient history is. In fact... Most ancient history was written by people hired by emperors and and kings. And guess who always looked good in the history? The kings and the emperors. Because they were paying the bill. But, But the New Testament is so extraordinary because it was written by men who were chased and persecuted. Nobody was paying them. And so you got the raw truth. Well, then the last book in the New Testament is the book of prophecy called Revelation and 
And actually, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are going to be in that same time frame as well. But in the book of Revelation, the apostle John, who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, had a vision of things that are yet to come. And, and in this book, just as Malachi and Haggai talked about what would come in the time period after the Old Testament, so John talks about what will come in the future. He talks about Jesus returning and establishing a kingdom. And, and he talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, today we're waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen. And this right here is where this lesson becomes very, very practical to us. Because we as Christians, listen, this, this takes in you. We as Christians find ourselves in the same spot that ancient Jewish people found themselves during those 400 years of silence waiting and waiting and waiting there had been all of this prophecy about what would happen about Jesus coming as Messiah but nothing was happening 400 years of silence and we're basically in the same situation today you know we've been waiting and waiting and waiting how long 2,000 years since the promises of the book of Revelation were written. And, and I wonder sometimes if we're like the Jewish people. We're, we're tempted to think, second coming? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, every generation has thought that it would happen in their generation. Yeah, I'm sure. 2,000 years, it's over. Put a bow on it. And I wonder if we're tempted to be like ancient Israel and be a bit cynical and skeptical that anything in the book of Revelation will ever take place. But if you're tempted to be skeptical, I would urge you to remember God's faithfulness through the 400 years of silence. And remembering that ought to cause something to rise within us that gives us a sense of confidence that God can be trusted. God does keep his promises. What God says in his word it will come to pass even if it's been 2,000 years since it was prophesied you know if in the first century we would have gone to Emperor Tiberius of Rome and said hey what are the odds that years from now this grand city of Rome would be covered with crosses representing the death of a Jewish carpenter that you put to death at a place that you'd never visited and the Emperor would have said not gonna happen but if you visit the city of Rome today, and I've been there, some of you have been there, there are crosses, there are symbols of Jesus across the entire city of Rome. There's no explanation for that. Except for the fact that the story of Jesus is more than just a fairy tale. And so you can choose to not believe this book. But as for me, I do believe. Forty authors, a span of 1,500 years, one story of redemption, a religion that should have died during the 400 years of silence, a Messiah who predicted his own death and resurrection, prophecy after prophecy fulfilled. I choose to believe. And that's why there are many people that have picked up this book as skeptics.
But after reading it and studying it, they have set it down as followers of Jesus Christ. This book is truly the power of God unto salvation. What an amazing and miraculous book that we have the Word of God. So, where do we go from here? First of all, if you don't know Jesus, may I just introduce you to Jesus? If you don't have a personal, living, active relationship with Jesus Christ, may I introduce you to Him? And then, let's be in the book. Let's be in the Word. Let's not just read it to try to stay up, but let's read it because it is the power of God into salvation. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus, would you just open your heart to Him? Say, Jesus, I want to believe. Maybe there's some here that you've got your doubts and that's okay. But also do your research. I mean, would you just open your heart to, to Jesus right now if you don't know him and say, come into my life, change me, transform me. And then uh, just say, God, with your help, I'm going to be in your word. Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for this moment together. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, thank you that we don't have to just hope that this is the word of God. Lord, we can, uh, we can know. We can know. And Lord, probably most of us would be convinced of that, but probably the biggest problem right now is that we're not really following your word. And I ask God that you would help us to, to follow it, to obey it, help us to serve you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there anybody here that would say, Joe, God has really spoken to me today. Would you just pray for me? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Pray for me. God has really spoken to me today. Lord, you know our hearts. Change us. Make us new. Let us be children that follow you. And thank you for giving us something so rock solid as your word that leads us to heaven. Thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.